um, whether it's there or there, and I appreciate all our musicians, but that guy is the backbone of what we do. We give God thanks for he's, but I tell you what, Brad would be the first to tell you, the reason we're here is to give honor and glory to Jesus Christ. And uh, we come this morning in worshiping him and beginning this holy week with hearts that long to draw closer to him. There's a little boy who uh, was sick. That happens every once in a while. As a father of three kids, it happens a little more often than I would like, actually, um, especially when they pass it on. But there's a little boy who was sick, and uh, he stayed home from church. I used to love um, when I got to stay home from church because that's when the Lone Ranger was on. Um, and so if I got to stay home from church, I got to watch reruns, reruns not the original. I just want to go on, on record. Uh, Dave was watching the original. I was watching... I was watching the reruns, but um, stayed home from church one Sunday, and it was Palm Sunday, and uh, the children came in and waved the branches and opened up the service. That's what we're going to do in the next service, as you waved your branches. We'll have kids marching in in the second service uh, uh, doing that, and so dad came home and came home with one of the palm leaves to the little boy and, and uh, gave it to him as a, a memento of, of the day, and the boy asked him, uh, he says, what, what's this whole Palm Sunday about? And, and why, why the palm and, and why do they call it Palm Sunday? And so dad began to explain to him that when Jesus came to town, everybody waved the palm branches to honor him. And so in church, you know, they waved the palm branches that day. The little boy was had kind of a dejected look on his face and kind of sad. And he said, wouldn't you know it? The one day I miss church, Jesus comes to town. Uh, <laughs> Well, I'm confident that Jesus has shown up and he has come to town this morning and he has been with us. We might not welcome him the same way that we welcomed, uh, they welcomed him 2,000 some years ago with that same excitement, the crowd in Jerusalem, but, um, but we welcome him. Some have, uh, some have compared the reception of Jesus that he received to a, to a ticker tape parade that New York City does when they honor their heroes and their celebrities. Now, some of uh, young people among us might not know what ticker tape is. For those who don't know what it is, it's, it's, um, it refers to this, this string of paper that was used to, to track the activity of, of the New York Stock Exchange. This, uh, this paper was blank, and you would feed it into the machines, and it would make little marks up upon the paper, and then you could take that paper, you could feed it into a reading machine, and, and you could read what it, what it said. It was sort of an early computer. This was high-tech early 1900s, and um, might be high-tech for even some today, but still, if you follow up how that, how that works. The greatest honor that New York City can bestow upon someone is, uh, or a collection of someone, say like a championship team, is to throw them a ticker tape parade. Now, the first parade happened in 1886. Since that time, there have been 204 of these celebrations and thousands of tons of paper have fallen on the streets during the parade. In 1951, 3,429 tons of paper showered General Douglas MacArthur as his motorcade wound through the streets of Manhattan. 3,474 tons for the first astronaut to orbit the moon, John Glenn, in 1962. By the late 1960s, the, uh, the stock exchange had upgraded to electronic boards. There was no longer a need for for ticker tape, and so enterprising office workers began to, to shred the paper in their office and use that to throw. That didn't work all that well, and, and uh, in fact, somehow it didn't work well at all. And 
and it started to cause more of a mess than before. One of the, kind of the straw that broke the camel's back, um, where they, they don't do as many of these anymore. There, there was an office worker who, who was trying to, the, the person in the parade was coming by, they were ripping pages out of the phone book, and they just couldn't get them out fast enough and tear them out. And so, so they, finally, they finally just threw the phone book. I'm not making this stuff up. And it hit somebody down on the street, it knocked them out, it sent them to the hospital. And um, this could be one of the reasons that we don't have ticker tape parades all as much anymore. But nevertheless, I want you to try to imagine the exhilaration of a ticker tape parade in Jerusalem in A.D. 30. Imagine the excitement and the merriment and the surrounds, all the occasion, the noises, everything that's taking place. Jesus is coming to town. Some say he's a great teacher. Others say he's a healer. Some say he is the Messiah of God and he is going to lead God's people into a a new and awesome era that does not include the oppressors, the Romans. In your mind's eye, I want you to try to visualize this scene. Let your ears be filled with the the beautiful synchronized sounds and, and the shouting of Hosanna, son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Our minds will become more somber as we move throughout this week. But for a moment, let's take some time to think about the amazing moment of Palm Sunday. The writers of the gospel took the time. They took the time for they, uh, they, uh, the writers of the gospel recorded this in all four Gospels. Palm Sunday is one of the few events that is recorded by all the Gospel writers. Each event just slightly different because each one saw it a different way from a, from a first-person kind of account. But the, the bulk, the major details remain intact. As we visualize this great event, I want you to think about these three things this morning. The manner which Jesus entered the city, the reaction of the crowd to His coming, And then third, how does that impact us today? We began the service reading the uh, the account from the Gospel of Matthew. I'd invite you to turn to the Gospel of Mark now. Mark chapter 11. I invite you to stand for the Gospel reading. Mark 11, the first 11 verses. After Jesus had finished instructing his twelve disciples, he went from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. Is that what you have? Well, let's read the version you have. I got a different version here. As they approached Jerusalem and they came to Bethphage at Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it and will send it back shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied the doorway, and as they untied it, some of the people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to the people and to let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus, they threw their cloaks over it and he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, and while others spread the branches, they cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom in your father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts and he looked around at everything. But since it was already late, 
he went out to Bethany with the twelve. You can be seated. So three things I want us to look at this morning. The first, notice how he came. It was time for the Passover celebration. Now, Passover was one of the three great festivals that that people would come to Jerusalem for. And so when when those kind of moments happened, Jerusalem got big. It just swelled with with all kinds of of people. And, And Jesus, as a good Jew, is bringing his disciples to Passover. But in preparation, Jesus does something unusual. He instructs his disciples to, to go borrow a young donkey, one that has never been ridden before, and, and to bring it. He's going to ride it into the city. And he equips them with some, some words. In case somebody bothers you about coming and taking this donkey, I want you to just tell them the master has need of it. And so they go, and it was exactly where Jesus said. It's interesting because Jesus was not a rider. He was a walker. Jesus, his whole ministry was, was walking and talking. That's how the teacher moved throughout the land. And, and they, certainly they have walked all this far to get to this point. But the last two miles, he decides he wants to ride on the donkey. This is obviously to fulfill a prophecy found in Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on the colt, the foal of a donkey. Without questioning the master's request, the disciples did what was instructed and brought to him the donkey. After borrowing the the colt, the disciples take their their own coats, their own cloaks, and they they lay it on top of the donkey to be a a saddle for Jesus as he he makes this journey. This, This method of transportation is significant. For Jesus did not ride into Jerusalem on an ornate um, chariot or, or the top of a large imposing horse. He rode a donkey. He rode a young donkey, a small donkey, an insignificant animal generally thought of as a beast of burden. And I think that perhaps part of this helps us understand the week that is coming, maybe even a metaphor for the days that will come when Jesus will become the one who bears the burden for the entire world. He would be spat on He will be mocked, he will be jeered, he will be beaten, he will be nailed to a cross. All of that may be symbolized in this lowly, least of these, burden-carrying donkey. The other side of town, when Pontius Pilate comes to town, he doesn't come to town on a donkey, he comes to town on a big horse, the symbol of war and power. Jesus comes to town on the symbol of peace and humility. Jesus, in the Gospel of Luke, is teaching his disciples. It's Luke 14. He he teaches them, verse 11, those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Jesus is one who practices what he preaches. So notice the manner in which he comes to town. The second thing I want us to notice this morning is is the reaction of the crowd. Mark notes that as Jesus enters the holy city, many people spread out their cloaks and they took their branches and they they placed them down on the road. Now, now this is not an unheard of tradition. This this was a a cultural thing. When when the victorious king would come to town, this this is how they, they would honor him. And so part of the statement, you recognize that part of it is, is that they are welcoming him as king. They are proclaiming him as king. They're anticipating that Jesus is going to come in and he is going to cause some kind of insurrection. He is going to lead it. He is going to kick out the Romans. He is going to be the king, an earthly king. 
They did not realize that his kingdom was not a kingdom of just that area. Not even a kingdom of just the world. While he rode in, the crowd was singing, Hosanna in the highest. The songs that we sang at the beginning of the service do much more to, to give you an idea of how beautiful of a moment that was than me just repeating those words. But, but for those in the crowd that day, this is a moment of, of great joy. This is a moment of great celebration and great anticipation. Of course, there were cynics. There are always cynics, even today. A donkey, branches being thrown for a guy on a donkey. I mean, he might as well show up in a 1960s VF, uh, uh, VW van. Um, perhaps. See, we want our royalty to come in a Rolls Royce or, or at least a Cadillac. The values of this world are not always the values of the kingdom. This kind of worship, this excited worship, reminds me of, of the fickleness of, of human beings and how often we straddle the fence. We, we see that, that Jesus is being worshipped here, this, this amazing worship by, by these crowds. But in a few days, it's these same people who are shouting Hosanna. They will be the same people who shout, crucify him. See, not everyone who sings praises to Christ can be counted on when the road gets rocky. They are in this celebratory mood. But when the tough decisions are to be made and one has to choose between Jesus and Barabbas, the crowd already had forgotten that just a few days ago they had proclaimed Jesus as their king. You see, their king was whoever was convenient for them in that moment. And it's easy for me to throw stones at them. And then I'm reminded of us. <laughs> I'm reminded of me. That when, when Jesus doesn't perform to my expectations, when, when God doesn't always do it the way that I'm planned, when, when a situation happens in my life and I think, God, why would you allow that to happen? Why wouldn't you do something else? How, how easy is it for me to turn away from the one I have proclaimed king in the middle of those Hosanna places of my life? Not even those who seem to be the closest to Christ remain faithful when, when the crowd turned against him. One, one of the disciples would betray him with a kiss, and one would deny him. Of course, some of the people in the crowd, we know, we know that some of the people were there just there out of curiosity. They're just following the crowd, the, the excitement. They're, they're, they're getting caught up in the moment of what takes place. Sometimes that happens. I, I read a story of a guy in Utah that uh, understood the, the crowd mentality. He'd bought a business and uh, opened up this business, and no one was coming. Um, you can't, this is a little, just an aside here, you can't make money in a business if no one buys anything, Okay. So he decides, he's right on the main street, he doesn't know what else to do. He goes out and finds some cars, some used cars, and he puts them in his parking lot. And all of a sudden, people start coming. Because if they see the cars there, then this must be a place that's worth going to, and so they started to come. And, and the same thing happens, I think, at times with churches. Some people are attracted to church because their friends are there, and, and there is nothing wrong with that. In fact, that's a great first step. You ought to be attracting your friends. You ought to be, by the way you live and who you are, you, they ought to be attracted to be people who come to church. We, we come to, to, to worship for a variety of reasons. Some of us come into this room with a sincere faith, desiring to know the deeper will of God for our life, and some, some are here today just still trying to work out what does it mean to be a person of faith. In Matthew 16, Jesus is questioning his disciples, and he asks them a question, Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answers, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says to him, Blessed are you, Simon, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. You see, Jesus 
Jesus didn't want his disciples, Peter, he didn't want his disciples to believe he's the Son of God because he said so. He, he wants us to believe who he is because we've experienced who he is. And we've come to that conclusion that, that we can't be the king of our life, that he must be the king of our life. If you're still uncertain about who Jesus is, this is a great place for you to be. For walk with Christ and walk alongside others that are walking with Christ. And I think you will find he is much greater than your expectations ever were. 49 years ago, Beatles superstar John Lennon created quite a stir in the world when he gave an interview and said that the Beatles were more popular than Jesus. Now, it's obvious at the time, if you're not familiar with their music, they, they weren't singing songs like Blessed is He Who Comes in the Name of the Lord or Hosanna or any of those kind of songs. And, but now, almost five decades later, the Beatles' former drummer Ringo Starr says he has found God after a long and winding road. He admitted that he lost his way when he was younger, both as a Beatle experimenting with marijuana and LSD and afterwards in the 70s with alcohol and cocaine addiction. But the musician, who is now a teetotaler, swearing off alcohol, drugs, and quitting his 60-a-day cigarette habit, says that he has found religion and it plays an important role in his life. Four years ago, at the age of 70, he gave his heart to God. He said this, I feel the older I get, the more I'm learning to handle life. For me, God is my life. I don't hide from that. I think the search has been on since the 1960s. I stepped off the path there for many years and found my way back to God, and I thank Him. He wasn't speaking at a church when he made that speech. He was speaking at the Grammy Awards Museum in Los Angeles. I'm glad that as Ringo Starr got older, he... He also got smarter. It's a shame that sometimes people have to get to such a bad way in order to find a better way. But Palm Sunday reminds me that Jesus came for those who have figured it out and those who haven't. Jesus came for for those who made him the king of their life early or made him the king of their life at age 70. He came for those who cried Hosanna and for those who cried crucify. He came for those who found and he came for those who are still searching. He came for you. And for me. The Bible teaches us there will be a time when God will reign in every heart. There will be a time when every tongue will confess and every knee will bow that Jesus Christ is Lord. The people shouted for a political king. And yet, they got so much more. Palm Sunday gives us a glimpse of what that day will be like. Palm Sunday gives us a glimpse of what it will be when the king returns and reigns once and for all. But let me ask you, follower of Jesus, why must we wait until then to have a parade? We know what, what next week looks like. We, we know about Sunday. We, we know the other side of Easter. We, why can't we be a people who, who shout Hosanna for the world to see, not just in the week that we call holy, but all week? If we are truly a people who know the, the, the answers to the greatest questions of life, then, then what do we say about us who, who don't shout them? For the crowd to hear. We need to be a people who wave the palm branches. We, we need to be a people who break out the ticker tape for the world to see. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. For the king has come. The king is coming again. Long live the king. The king has returned.
the prophecies fulfilled. The years of longing are over. The king has returned. And now all will be made right. Amidst shouts of praise and tears of joy, the pleading for justice, the cries for our enemies' defeat. The king has returned. The king who was driven from his land as an infant, who spent his first years as a refugee, who understands pain and suffering. But this king is not who we were looking for. This king brings justice, not over our enemies, but in the midst of our enemies. He brings peace, not in our land, but in our souls. He is the answer to the prayer we did not know we were praying. The king has returned. Long live the king. The king is dead. The hand that once held a branch now gripped a hammer. The king is dead. This king of kings who embraced the very nature of a servant. This prince of peace broken for us. This commander of angels surrendered to a cross. This king joins us in our suffering, empathizes in our weakness, and he calls us to die with him, to lay down our lives, to live in surrender, that we may be fully alive. The king is dead. Long live the king. This king is not gone forever. The story has not ended. There is a twist, a third act. There is a third day, and on that third day, the king will strip death of its power and extinguish the sting of Hades. This king is not defeated. This king is not destroyed. This king is the resurrection. He is the life. He is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. The king has returned, leaving death behind, destroying hate, inviting us all to live in his victory. His kingdom and his peace. Yes, the king is risen. Father, we begin this holy week with the reminder of your incredible gift and grace in our lives. We begin this holy week inviting you to help us draw close to you 
that we would be people who, who would live